Week in Geek number 23. Brought to you live from high atop the tower of Barad-dûr, deep in Middle Earth. Wow, that's a scary... Wait, there is no Barad-dûr anymore. It, like, fell down. Didn't you see the movie? Oh, okay. Um, then, Loser. Oh, I'm sorry. High atop the tower of Dal Guldur, which is the other tower that was not brought down. So there, I'm way more Lord of Rings nerd than anybody should be. Have you read The Children of Urine? <laughs> have, wow, you, have, you, <laughs> have you drank your own urine? <laughs> Something like that. I read The Silmarillion, and it was like interesting in the sense that it gave you all the backstory, and not interesting in the sense that I don't think Tolkien is a very good author anyway. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a hundred times worse when it's just his notes. Yeah, I, that it was. That's one of those things where everyone's like, he wrote a really good trilogy with the Lord of the Rings. Now let's <laughs> let's take that, and uh, now we we want more. So let's kind of scrape something up. And it's like, yeah, it was pretty scraped up. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of interesting, but he's much more interested in linguistics than he is in storytelling. So, and I don't think he knew any women. <laughs> Um, I think he had children, so he knew at least one woman. Maybe. You never know from reading his stories. Anyway, hi, I'm your host, Pat. And I am your host, Craig. And together, we're Wild Stallions. <laughs> wow, I was going to say, you can't do the Three Amigos one again, because, first of all, there's not three of us, and we did it on a former episode. Yeah, well, we should have done the whole in, or like, you know, but I, I don't feel like it. You know what a great way to to uh, solve the problem of producing a podcast is? Just quote things randomly for 45 minutes? No, every time we're going to do a podcast, what we'll do is you and I will each buy plane tickets to somewhere in uh, the middle of the United States, you know, the Midwest, and we'll go somewhere and record it there and then fly back and we'll – and we will take our recording, uh, which we've done, of course, on magnetic tape and uh, use a USB recorder to – put it into our computer and produce our podcast. Now, even though that's a really awful idea, it, it is an awful idea. Although somehow it does solve our problem. Wow. This sounds like a really clever segue into some topic of interest. <laughs> it is now perhaps rather than doing that roundabout thing to produce a podcast, we could just get on Skype and record it. I would say that is a good solution to our problem. Right. So what are these things? These things are <clears throat> these things are patterns, like design patterns, management patterns. Uh and then there's you know, so a pattern it's like for instance in software engineering or software design, you have design patterns which are time-tested ways of solving problems. And they are ways that techniques that we know work. And right. they they work, they've been developed, they give you a common language to talk to other people about the patterns with. But patterns aren't what we're going to talk right, about. Right, because pa- everybody talks about patterns. We're going to talk about a different topic. It's called anti-patterns. Now, so when an anti-pattern collides with a pattern, they disappear in a photon's emission? Well, I would say probably nothing happens because you have something, you know, a pattern and anti-pattern. And it's just like, hmm. Nothing's happening here. I, I don't understand. But the, so a pattern, as we said, is a, basically a good solution to a problem. And you can use multiple ones to solve your problem to make a real solution. Now, an anti-pattern is something that still solves your problem, but for some reason is flawed or, uh, you know, 
should not be used. And these pa- anti-patterns, uh, we would use them to hopefully learn a lesson about the problem we're trying to solve so that we can improve our methodology going forward. Now, okay. one of the things about anti-patterns, which, you know, we are not, as I said, we don't not only see them in software, we see them in uh, ways of running companies, you know, like management, uh, in, in programming, in just kind of problem solving in general. Uh, we're going to kind of stick to the technology thing. But one of the things that is problematic about these anti-patterns is sometimes they're kind of the more obvious solution and they're easier to adopt. So you might do things a certain way because it's like kind of the the quicker the quicker path to a to the solution of your problem. Right, and if, you also get this a lot just through pure inexperience, right? You you've got to solve a problem and you you know, it's that that uh, old saying, right? Um with enough nails you can stick a block of jello to a tree. That yeah, exactly. And that's a good point. I've never heard that. And I was just <laughs> trying to picture in my mind how you'd actually do that. <laughs> Maybe it's not such a famous old saying as I thought it was. Well, I, I, I think I might actually use it from now on. Um, <laughs> but it, only when I'm talking about anti-patterns. So now, for instance, in software development, uh, anti-patterns are very rampant only because the nature of soft, you know, programming and software design is it's such a flexible field that you can actually uh, there, there's just like a million ways to solve any problem, and so if there's a million ways, probably a good deal of them are going to be bad. Uh, now, before before we go into this, I'm going to fess up here. I've done lots of these. I mean, it's it's part of the learning. You're going to run into these. You're going to implement them yourselves and go, "Oops, yeah, not doing that." Again. And and I would say that, and I mean, I definitely have too. And one, if you've never, all right. So here's a couple of ways of looking at it, though. If you've never committed an anti-pattern, I guess I'm not sure. Or if you've never used an anti-pattern, what that probably means is that you really haven't done. You're, you're, it would mean that you're like really inexperienced or kind of like a timid designer or programmer or manager. But if you, what the point is, is once you start using them, you need to realize that what you're doing can be done in a different way that is better. And, but knowing, you know, knowing some of these things and educating people are good. Uh, so uh, one, one example I want to give, and I promise I won't do any more like kind of code stuff after this. Cause I know after our last ep- or two episodes ago, people are probably still kind of having their heads spinning from uh, our technical discussion of code, oh. but you know, I, I, I bet we'll get some code, but, Anyway, yeah. continue. Yeah, exactly. So, for for instance, a famous anti-pattern is the exception handling anti-pattern. Uh, that would be where an exception handling in code is basically when you say, you know, in my program, I'm going to do something. And then I'm going to have another piece of code that will execute only if when that first piece of code breaks down and does something wrong, you know, like... Divide, right. like this is And this isn't like... The, something goes a little wrong. It's like something goes horribly wrong, and my program probably can't really recover from it well. Exactly. So what you do is you have a piece of code which will, uh, which will basically fix the situation, and and that's good. I mean, that's not an anti-pattern. That's a great, you know, way of doing things in software technology. There's really kind of nothing new about that. But if you are, if you have something where, for instance, your say your program. 
you have this really high-tech piece of software which takes two numbers and divides them and returns a quotient. I don't think computers are there yet. No, but uh, let's just this is like kind of a thought experiment. So, so it's Schrodinger's division. That's right, Schrodinger. <laughs> so right, <laughs> that's right. Um, so you're going to so you take in your numbers and you spit out the quotient. Well, what you do is you say, okay, now there's a possibility that the divisor could be zero, which you can't divide by zero. If you try to divide by zero in a, program, in a computer, it hates it and it will throw an exception. It will, it will flunk. So an exception is like a tantrum. It, it really is. That's actually a good way. It will, yeah, it, the computer will just throw its hands up and say, I don't know what to do. But you can catch that exception and fix the situation, you know, pre- and that's a good idea. You, you, that's defensive coding that you say, hey, if things go horribly wrong, here's how to break the least. Right. But so and that's fine. So far, we haven't talked about anything that's bad. But one – but a good way of kind of solving the problem would be to check when your, pro, when your numbers come in to make sure the divisor isn't zero. If it is, you say, you know, do, right. do something. Do something else. Do something else. And that – and that's because, like tantrums, ex- uh, exceptions are noisy, and people look at you funny when they happen. Yeah, and they're very costly. So you, so having an exception, handling an exception, be a normal part of program execution, is bad because in computer speak, it basically un- it has to unravel the whole stack, and it does a whole bunch of uh, operations because you're basically kind of going outside the normal bounds of. What, what should be going on. So, Okay, so, that's, so the example here is just saying there would have been an easy way to handle it, um, and yet it's a very common thing to do it this extremely difficult way. But, but to be honest, if you handle it using an exception handler, it might be easier that way. And that's, that's the problem. You, know, you don't have to check anything. All you do is put you know, a piece of code that does nothing. And- right, so even though it'll work... You've done it in a bad way. So, for instance, if you try to scale, your program won't scale as well. So it'll it'll break at a hundred thousand users, or maybe it should have been able to go up to a million. Exactly, exactly. Um, pr- precisely. There, there. It's just there. There needs you need to have consistent good practices and not. All right. So, there, so let's talk a, about semantics. Well, I want to say there's a book that I actually haven't read, but. After looking up some stuff on anti-patterns, I ordered it, and it's coming to me soon. It's called Anti-Patterns in Project Management, Anti-Patterns in – or I'm sorry, there's multiple books. Anti-Patterns in Project Management, Anti-Patterns and Patterns in Software Configuration Management, and the one that I ordered is Anti-Patterns, Refactoring Software, Architecture, and Projects in Crisis. Basically, it's a these are books just about how to do things wrong and how to recognize when things are wrong and how to fix them and do them right. Right, so that's that's the value of learning about anti-patterns, right? Is you can you can see them and fix them. Yes, exactly. So I, I now I, I wanted to talk before we get into more kind of high tech programming crap. Uh, I want to talk about some management anti-patterns, which I didn't even think of this when I was looking up anti-patterns. I'm like, oh, this would be a fun programming topic to talk about. However, there's there are bad solutions to problems outside of the software realm. So the, I looked through, and Wikipedia has a great article on it, and there's also another uh, uh, website uh, that is c2.com. It's like a little consulting firm, and they have this giant wiki about anti-patterns, which is pretty cool. 
So, but I picked out the ones that I thought were actually kind of cool and stuff that I've seen and uh, thought we could just, you know, talk about them a little bit. So the first one, oh, and I just also want to say there's a lot of anti-patterns out there and some of them are not particularly legitimate. Sometimes people just use them as a forum for ranting and giving things funny names. So, but anyway, okay, they do, which, you know, you'll, you'll see they usually have kind of, kind of funny names. So one is designed by committee. So this, this type of things would be to manage a project using design by committee where, you know, you have many contributors to the solution of a project or a problem or the completion of a project, but no real unifying vision. Uh, so you run into this a lot when you don't have uh, appropriate leadership in a group. And also when you, I have seen in my own experience in kind of like kind of nonprofit volunteer type things where nobody kind of wants to be the bad guy and tell someone else that their idea sucks. So you just kind of like everybody kind of makes a consensus of everything and no one is willing to kind of really direct where things are going. Nobody wants to kind of step on anybody else's toes. Right. And this isn't saying that, you know, teams can't work. It's just saying that, you know, if there's no leader, you're you're on a path to mediocrity or not succeeding. Exactly. And so basically, Pat, your life is run by – designed by committee. No unifying agenda. Well, that, 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 that's very good to know. <laughs> My life is just an anti-path. <laughs> Tweaking Geek is definitely designed by committee. Luckily, we only have a committee <laughs> or two. Uh, so the next one is one that is uh, – I would say one of the most prevalent ones I've seen, which is just kind of funny, but it's not. It's like prevalent and frustrating. It's called crisis mode. It's basically you don't deal with problems until basically it's too late. And then it's just like a huge issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's common, and that's not isolated to the tech industry. I mean, a lot of a lot of companies run like that. Yes, and oftentimes th- this this has huge ramifications because when does crisis mode normally take place? It's things like five o'clock on Friday. Exactly, and what happens is it's a huge morale buster because when if you do things in crisis mode, crises happen whenever, and it can really interfere with per- people's personal lives because. You can't ever count on anything because your you know management will say work on this problem, uh, you know, or work on this other thing. Even though we know there's like kind of a, something pathological going on, they wouldn't say that, but you know they would know that there was. But you don't work on that till it's like you know everything's down, that sort of thing. Right. So it leads to high stress situations and not making a lot of progress. Precisely. Yes. Uh, okay. And so. The next one, th- this is one where, I don't know about you, but I have, I have gotten into this one a lot. Analysis paralysis. Yes, yeah, so this is, this is when you spend so much time thinking and rethinking and overthinking that you don't do anything. That's right. Where you, I think of this also uh, like an example I heard once. It was about uh, some sort of software engineer, you know, some company that did like, kind of airtight uh, software engineering. They had, uh, you know, design documents, change orders, uh, specs, UML documents for everything they did, blah, blah, blah. You know, they, like, were this picture-perfect company uh, with respect to 
you know, making software. Except for, you know what their biggest product was? What? Paperwork. <laughs> so it, it, it's where it, it's basically where you spend so much time on <clears throat> where you spend so much time on yeah on the analysis of the solution of a problem you never actually solve it. Wow. Yeah, that it can happen. Yeah. Now the next one, which I think is also kind of a a, a variation on crisis mode, it's they call it death march. I call it superhero. Uh, now I'm going to point out that if there is a a pattern name or an anti-pattern named after an awful event like the Bataan Death March. <laughs> uh, it's probably not a good thing. Exactly. That's why I, I gave it a, a softer name, Superhero, but I'll explain why. So Death March is basically when you have a project that is doomed. Everybody knows it's doomed and it now and might not necessarily fail, but it maybe it's it's over budget or it's it's not going to meet deadline and that's just the reality of it, and there's nothing you can do. And what you really need is management intervention to get the project back on track. But what? So what? Sometimes will happen is you'll use death march, which is the where the executors, like for instance employees, they have to bear the brunt of the the project failure. So that's where the managers will say, you know. Oh, just make it happen. Yeah, we. Oh, look, we told the customer that we would have it done by this date, which is totally a fabricated date, so that we would get the get the business. So we need you to make it happen. You know, do it for the company, whatever. And I suppose that's fine, but I call it also right, superhero because in smaller shops, what happens is that you get a single employee who actually has to uh, bear the brunt of it, and they have to go into superhero mode where they save the day. Right, and it's where this happens repeatedly, right? It just It's just a recipe for burnout. It really is, and that's just... It's just it's an anti-pattern. It's a bad way to solve your problem when the pattern would be to have management manage. Right, well, I mean, it's that you don't want the sprint for dear life. You want the marathon. Exactly. Now, my favorite one of all is because this is like – this should just be called the hubris anti-pattern. Escalation of commitment. It's kind of a dull name, but it's basically when you've made a bad decision, yet you work with it anyway. Where sometimes – you know, if I've said, we're going to do it this way, but if it turns out that that's wrong, you need – to rescind it and say, all right, we're going to go and remake that decision so that we can go in the right direction. There are a lot of projects fail based on bad initial decisions that were not uh, were not reconsidered when they should have been. Huh. Yeah, so that's an unhealthy kind of culture to be in, but it's, it's out there. It's not uncommon. It's not. And it's – I just think that, you know, it, it's a pride thing because people don't want to admit they're wrong. I will admit like everybody's you. wrong. <laughs> so, Craig, you're just wrong. That's right. Let's. In fact, I think the decision to podcast with you is a bad one. I rescind it. The end. <laughs> the end. Thanks for listening to Tweaking Geek. Actually, your decision was wrong. So, screw you for listening to Tweaking Geek. All right. So, just a couple more like little odds and ends. Very understandable uh, software ones. Which, yes, we're going to make these simple, and we're not going to belabor them. Exactly. We promise. Th- that was Pat, or you can punch. I was Craig. Say, that that was Pat warning me not to run my mouth off on these. <laughs> so, 
So uh, I just like them because they have good, good, uh, good names, and they're ones that are are huge issues for uh, beginner programmers. So if you're beginning programming, don't do these. One is uh, the first one I liked was gold plating, which is where you take a piece of software and you get it to work, but then you add keep adding more functionality or more bells and whistles beyond kind of a return on investment thing where you're adding features that are not cost effective any longer. So yeah. Yeah. Putting 90% of the effort in the last 10% of the project type thing. Now the hard part about that is that a lot of times that is how things fall. Yes, it is. And that, so, so the mistake is not knowing when that's a valuable task. Right. And, And being able to evaluate what you're asked for uh, in consulting. A lot of times people will ask for gold plating and it's my responsibility as a consultant to go over this decision with them and help them realize that they're asking for something that is going to be expensive to implement and not very useful. So uh, another one is magic numbers and it's brother or sister magic strings, which is basically this drives me. Nuts. Uh, it does me this too. Is, this is my pet peeve. So like, I mean, a bad example would be you've got some table of data coming in, and the value minus one means the end of the table. Yes. Right? And so in your code, there's this, like, if next number equals minus one. And, you know, six months from now, three years from now, whatever, when someone looks at that, they're going to be like, why minus one? I don't get it. Exactly. And it's, so, yeah, it's, 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 a main, it's maintenance hell. It, it really is. So don't is. do it ever. Or I will find you and egg your house. Exactly. Uh, it, it's, I, I feel as passionate about it as you do, Pat, so I won't even say anything about it because it's just I, – I, let's just say I rant and rave all day long with my coworkers and about not hard-coding things. And when I see something hard-coded, I lecture and everybody hates me. And, it, and, I, it, it, and it's a just hatred and I love it. Now, having said that, sometimes you've just got to get something done and you don't have time to, for a really elegant solution, but you can do better. For instance, apply a named constant. So instead of saying, if you know, my next number equals minus one, you'd be like, somewhere in your program, you'd say, you know, end of table equals minus one. And then you'd say, if my next number equals end of table. Exactly. Right? That gets you out of the maintenance night. There you go. It's, it's as easy right. as that. Anyway. So the next one is copy and paste programming. This is fun because a lot of times you'll see this a lot in like websites where people will say, okay, I want, I have two pages that do kind of similar things, but they're totally different. So what I'll do is I'll take the first one, which already exists and I'll just make a copy of it and modify it a little bit now. And I'm, to be fair, the, almost everyone starts there. It, it's true. And, if you do it for as as you said before, sometimes you just got to get it done, right? So sometimes right. it's like, well, we just need another one, and it's just kind of one of the things we're going to do. But the, you know, now, but you know, this is but now this is my corporate website where we're going to introduce several product lines. Well, now for you know whatever uh, widget C, I'm gonna I'm just going to take the widget A website or web page which has a configurator on it, bring it over, move it, change it a little bit. Oh, now we've introduced widget D. Now. You know, time passes. We're at widget, you know, XX3. Uh-oh. Right. So so the solution to this is something called don't repeat yourself, which is if you ever find you have to do the same thing twice, it's time to go do it in one place and call it from two yeah, different places. We call that the dry principle. 
Yes. Do not repeat or don't repeat yourself. Don't repeat yourself, people. Don't repeat yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, another one, which is we all have, and it's kind of a stupid thing to do, but you got to do it sometimes. It's called programming by accident, where it's you just things you rather than figuring out how an algorithm is supposed to work or whatever, you just kind of keep moving things around a little bit till it works. This is an anti-pattern because you don't have full understanding of what you're doing. If you get it to work, you're like, aha, it works. You know, I, I moved this over here and this over here and all of a sudden it works. But if you, so, um, if you, if you read the book code complete, uh, which is almost always in the top five programming books that people recommend, Um, this is something that author really hammers on is uh, nobody should ever be in this state because if you're doing this, it means you don't really understand what you're doing. So who knows what else could be going wrong. Um, And if you take this to its extreme, um, a lot of times people write code and compile it and then check to see if the code was right. Um, And so the compiler says, Oh, you got something wrong. Um, He takes the extreme point that, shouldn't happen very often either because it just shows that you don't understand what you're doing. Exactly. So so it's it gets things done a lot more work than I'm comfortable admitting gets finished this way, but it's really scary because you never know what could be going wrong. Yep. Uh, I agree. And that's why it's about and I think it's kind of an ironic name. Programming by accident, meaning you say, oh, the accident is that you got it right. But also, an accident is something that goes wrong unexpectedly. And there can be accidents with code when you don't understand how it works. And my favorite and final, not my favorite, but my favorite name is the God object. So, Oh, yeah. So this is when you have one object that does lots of stuff. One object that does, like, too much stuff. Where you basically ruin the object-oriented paradigm by just having one big object that does everything, which so it's basically a, you know, a namespace of functions. So who cares about that? Right. So I mean, if you, if you imagine that you have one chunk of your program that's responsible for, I don't know, validating addresses and um, storing your data in the database, right? Then you've created a god object because no single object should be doing both of them. Yeah, and and it means if you want to make a simple change, so let's say you have a new zip code that you want it to recognize, you've made that a lot harder because now it's tied to all that other functionality. So when you change one, you might be messing up both. You know what a good analogy for a god object is? What a super burger. And why okay. you say that? I'd say why would that be? Imagine like a super burger where you have a quarter pound of delicious juicy beef. And a slice of cheese, and some chili, and a fried egg, and some crispy onion rings, and uh, some bacon, and some chicken strips. I think I think I had that burger the other day. I know it's delicious. That'd be like the God Burger. That would be like a burger that only God could make. But right, and so you you eat all that, and then you're like, oh no, I'm allergic to onions, and you die. That's right. But so basically, it's like something that has too much. It's like a burger that is. You, it seems good because it has all the stuff on it, but then really, kind of, it's like, ugh. Right, and then when you decide that you really want your, you really want raw onions instead of onion rings, you have to take the whole burger apart and hope that you don't knock, you know, the chicken strips out while you're changing the onions. Exactly. Or, can, can we stop this analogy? This is off. Because you're getting hungry. Well, no, because then you get mustard all over your hands, and you have to go wash your hands, and it's it's just bad. It is. It is. I'm just. I just get hungry. Thinking of a super burger. All right. So 
Speaking of bad news, or would you say bad might be lame? So what you're saying is it's time for the lamest news of the week. Yes, it's time for the lamest news of the indefinite time period since our last lamest news entry. That's true. Well, we're getting better. We're almost weekly now, so everyone's That's true. All right, so what do you have this week? All right, my lamest news of the week is very, very, very important news. This is actually a follow-up to an article I had read a while back, and when I saw this follow-up, I'm like, oh, this is so lame, it's stupid. So the the headline is, kids with Nazi names taken from their home. So what happened was the the uh, child, child Services has removed Adolf Hitler Campbell, Joycelyn Aryan Nation Campbell, and Hanslin Hitler Genie Campbell from their from their white supremacist parents. And the reason that wow. yes, and, and they won't say why, but they've been removed. And the parents don't seem, sound too broken up, but I mean. Obviously, they have problems. But the reason that I think this is uh, kind of fascinating is because a few weeks ago, there was a news article about how this father went in to get his son a birthday cake, but the grocery store wouldn't write, happy birthday, Adolf Hitler Campbell, on the cake. And you might say, oh, well, since when does a grocery store have editorial freedom over what they put on your cake? However... I think we can all just kind of like silently agree that something is wrong here. Yeah, so I guess my question would be I ho- I, I sort of hope the kids weren't taken away because of these names cuz in the US at least that's not really illegal, is it? No, it's not. However, in New- it's New- distasteful, uh, but not illegal. Right. I mean, obviously there, it points to something wrong. And I have to tell you in New Zealand, it actually is illegal to give your children names like that. Uh, you know, names that basically are overly distasteful. It is illegal, but we're not in Zealand, so. Or in Germany, where you know references to Nazism, Nazism, or Nazism, or however you say that, are like illegal. Yeah, and it, 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 taboo at best. But not not in the United in the United States. It, I don't know. It shouldn't be illegal. So. Uh, it's an interesting. This one's actually kind of interesting. I don't even know if this is lame. There's a lot to talk. Well, about. Well, the lame part. It's not. It, the it is about parents who it, it's who would name their children things like this. Because if nothing else, it's just going to give them problems growing up. And there, there's obviously a lot of lameness in that family. And I just hope that the children are able to have reasonably normal lives. So good luck, Adolf Hitler and Hanslin Hitler and Joycelyn Aryan Nation. Wow, that that beats like Moon Unit Zappa for unfortunate name. Exactly. So, Pat, what do you have for lame news? Porn. Wow. No. Uh, so I found this script online at userscripts.org. Um, it made uh, delicious top news one day, and uh, it's a neural network, uh, something called a multilayer perceptron, which is kind of like the iconic neural network. Um, that can solve CAPTCHAs, which are those annoying squiggly texts that you have to type to prove that you're not, well, a neural network or a robot or a computer. Um, But somebody wrote in JavaScript a neural network to solve CAPTCHAs to view porn without having to actually type in the CAPTCHA yourself. There we go. Does it uh, actually read the picture and figure out the 
Yeah, so it's it's as far as JavaScript goes, it's really advanced. It uses a canvas to read the picture, um, locate edges, and start trying to identify the letters that make up the picture. Wow. Yeah, so so it's really high tech, and it's actually a really good uh, neural network implementation. Now, I didn't try it, so I can't vouch that it works. So the the lame aspect of this is incredible application of high technology to see boobies. Oh, there we go. Okay, I I was I was worried. I'm like, that's cool. Something's wrong here. (laughs) Where's the lameness? Okay, there we got it. (laughs) So uh, I I think you win this week. Well, okay. Well, I'll I'll, t- I'll take a win on that one. But I'd say we have some good lame uh, lame stuff anyway. So cool. Well, as of this moment, Pat, the or not as of this moment, but as of very recently, the submissions for our uh, user or our, excuse me, our listener driven episode have been submitted and are currently being tabulated by a team of experts, and we're going to bring the most fabulous episode ever. Really? Um, well, the most fabulous listener-driven Tweaking Geek episode ever. Number 24 ever. Hey, you know what? you got, you got to do what yeah. you got to do. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what they say. Like, if you have a, a million monkeys banging on typewriters, you know, one of them will write Hamlet. So what we and, need each... And the rest will write Pearl Code. <laughs> So what we need each of our listeners to do is go out and get two friends to get two friends to get two friends to listen to Tweaking Geek. So we'll have a million people to submit suggestions. So we Hooray! might actually get some good ones. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's too late. We're already going through your suggestions now and deciding which ones are not so inferior that we'll be embarrassed to talk about. Them. That's right. So keep them coming. So... Pat, I think that's it. I think we've uh, we're going to follow the anti-pattern of ending our Tweaking Geek episode without without uh, shout outs, without shout outs, and without references to our glorious leader. Okay. So bye. Oh no, wait. We should. If you do want to talk to us, uh, email us at tg at tweakinggeek dot com or call us at six seven eight nine 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 six three two one. Check out our Twitter. Check out our Facebook. Or check out our website. There you go. Thank you for listening. Say goodbye. <laughs> Say goodnight, Pat. Goodnight, Pat. <laughs>